0: In today's episode of the Greatest Games Podcast, we go to the great Pacific Northwest, just south of Portland, Oregon. Absolutely beautiful countryside, folks. If you have not been to Oregon, please go to Oregon this summer, and you might want to stop by Wilsonville High School and check out the great Chris Roach. He joins us on today's episode of the Greatest Games Podcast. What a great time to speak with such a great man and a great coach. Super successful, but Once you listen to this one, you'll understand why he's won so many games. Just an incredible, incredible guy. But before we get to today's episode, check out teachhoops.com slash 816basketball for all your needs in the offseason to grow as a coach. Again, teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. And our boy, Billy Kegler, he has multiple podcasts now, but the Competitive Mindset podcast, absolutely rolling. And if you haven't listened to the Hoop Nerds podcast yet, check it out as well, Billy Kegler is amazing as well and again we appreciate you joining us here on the greatest games podcast let's head on into the studio for today's episode hello and welcome to the greatest games podcast brought to you by 816 basketball i'm one of your hosts brian rosefield and i'm joined by my co-host chris de blasio
1: thank you brian pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game.
0: We are back in the studio, Chris de Blasio. It's an honor and a privilege always to be in the studio with the Bearded Wonder. And I tell you what, maybe one of these days we can do a video podcast, but we do like the like the audio here. But we're also in the studio with a very special guest, as Chris, you pointed out in the pre-show chatter our first trip to the Pacific Northwest, we've been in California a couple of times, but we are going to the state of Oregon. He is the head coach of the Wilsonville High School uh, Cougars, if that's right. Am I right there, Coach?
2: Wildcats.
0: Wildcats. I knew, I knew it was some sort of a cat, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But he is the five-time state championship winning coach, also back-to-back state championship winning coach, But the last state championship that was won was 2019. We're going to hear all about it on the Greatest Games Podcast. But welcome to the show, Chris Roach, the head coach of Wilsonville High School.
2: Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it, and it's great to be with you and Chris, and representing Oregon as the uh, the native voyage out to Oregon. I'm I'm happy to be with you. Excited to talk some hoops.
1: Uh, Brian, before we go any further. I'm already getting into it. I started looking up Wilsonville. First thing I learned about Wilsonville was founded by the grandson of Daniel Boone.
0: Okay. I've heard of Daniel Boone. So Chris, if you're not, if you're not sure what's about to happen, he's about to ask me a question that I'm about to miss, but go ahead.
1: I'm going to add, I don't know if coach Roach knows this. What law do New Jersey and Oregon have in common that only New Jersey and Oregon have in common?
0: No other States in the union. I actually know this, but I'm going to let coach take this one. This is crazy. I have
2: no idea on that. Both pretty liberal states. Not <laughs> uh, much I know, but I'm not sure what we would have solely in common with New Jersey.
0: It's, it's crazy. And I, I realize that I'm going to talk about my love affair with Oregon, too, on this show. You can't pump your own gas in both of those states. That's correct. Unbelievable. It's the greatest law ever, by the way,
1: <laughs> because it sucks pumping your own gas, especially when you grow up in a state where you don't have to pump your own gas.
0: Well, I, I tell you, Coach Roach, I, I, I went to Portland for, there's actually a, uh, an Allen Stein thing that he did at the Nike campus a few years ago. Um, and I rented a car. It was one of the best days of my life. I rented a car and I drove over to Cannon Beach up to Astoria and just had a ball, but I needed to stop for gas. And I got out, and I and the attendant came out and said, "Oh, how much do you need?" I said, "No, no, no, I, I got it." They're like, "No, you can't do it." I'm like, "Oh, okay." But what a what a beautiful part of this part of the country! Please uh, uh, tell our listeners about how beautiful it is, and please tell them to get up there and check it well, out.
2: It, it's an incredible place, and the Willamette Valley sits basically an hour from skiing. Uh, you know, in one way, the, the coast is a, is an hour away. Um, fishing, hunting you know, all sorts of outdoor things. If you love outdoors, it's just a beautiful place to live. Great place to raise a family. You know, we've been here our whole lives. I left for graduate school, went down to California for a couple of years, but then wanted to come back and I just can't imagine living in any place else. So I know there's a lot of wonderful places obviously, but, but this is a, this is a very neat place, kind of a laid back vibe a little bit and you got motivated people who are working hard and hustling, but, um, it's It's got a great vibe to it and just all sorts of outdoor things to do.
1: That's great. I was supposed to make it out to Seattle and Oregon once, but American Airlines left me in Dallas. We won't get into that because I'll get very angry. <laughs> um, coach, tell us a little bit about your coaching journey. Uh, just kind of give us a brief – give our viewers, our viewers, our listeners a brief overview of your coaching career.
2: Sure. My uh, I got into coaching mostly because my dad did it, and uh, he was – Sort of a legendary coach in Oregon for years, both high school and collegiate. Um, he was a guy who's you know definitely old school would fit him. He was tough and uh, very principled and believed in you know playing you know harder playing harder than your opponent and smarter than your opponent. And basically everything he did was kind of centered around those those ideas. He was probably as competitive as anybody I ever knew, uh, but would never bend on his principles, you know, the life was black and white, and he pretty much saw it that way. But he would fight you tooth and nail to the end of the buzzer. After that, it was all good. You'd want to go golfing or crabbing or have a beer with you. So he was just a wonderful man. We lost him to cancer a couple of years ago. But it really influenced me when you grow up in the gym, and you're shooting hoops on the side. And, and uh, you see all these all these guys who you, you idolize and you look up to and you can't imagine ever being that big or that old. It just gets in your blood. And for me, uh, his dad actually was the defensive coordinator at the University of Oregon for 30 years or so. So there's a real long lineage of athletics in our family. And, and then I don't teach, but uh, I, I wanted to coach. And I've been able to put together a career that gives me the flexibility to do that. It's not easy because it's not a real, it's not a real uh, light hobby. You know, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy it's a lot of emotional investment in terms of dealing with the community and dealing with parents and, you know, and kids that are trying to grow up and learn. Um, so for me, it's just a labor of love. I, I can't imagine my life without coaching. And uh, I've been doing it now. This is my, I think this was my 24th year this past season. Uh, and I've been really lucky to be in one place at Wilsonville for uh, 20 years now. And I, you know, it, we're in the five, a classification, out of six in Oregon. So we're the second highest. They're pretty comparable. 6A is a little bit better. They're bigger schools. But if you took the top five teams and played a series, it'd be 3-2, 2-3 either way every year. So it's a high level of basketball. And uh, I'm really blessed to be at a school I love and in a community I I really enjoy and, and been able to roll with it for a while.
1: Coach, it's interesting you talk about not being a teacher but being a longtime coach. Uh, I find that fascinating from, uh, you said you've been coaching over 30 years now.
2: This might, this 24. Oh, tw- okay. Years, yeah. So I,
1: into- I mean, nowadays, I think you see some more coaches who aren't teachers, but probably 24, 25 years ago, that was, uh, I don't want to say odd, but how, how were you able to get into it by not being a teacher?
2: Yeah. And I think it might vary a little bit depending on where you are in the country and, I think it is different or less prevalent in the major sports, you know, and, and all sports are important. All activities have value. I'm not trying to say one's better than the other, but the sports that have the bigger attendance, the bigger followings, um, football, basketball, some others. Uh, I think it's a little bit unusual for, for um, a non-teacher to get a job like that. I started a smaller school my first year I coached, I coached at uh, Valley Catholic in Beaverton out by Nike, Nike's World Headquarters. And it just uh, we had, gosh, I think it was uh, less than 400 kids in the school. And the boys' side of it was like 133 because they'd been an all-girls school before that. And the, the basketball team looked like it had been an all-girls school. But it was a great place to get started. And I think my family's reputation probably helped me for sure. Uh, but then also the fact that, um, my, I own a couple of businesses and I do have the flexibility to be there. So even though I'm not on campus during the day, every day, I'm there a lot and I'm present. And, and, uh, so I have a pretty, you know, a a pretty substantial role. Now I live a mile from the school, you know, for all anybody else knows, I might as well be on the staff there, but it is unusual out here. It's probably not as unusual as out there. Um, like on our on our staff, the football coach is is a teacher. Um, I think our track and field is as well, but a whole bunch of the others aren't. It's probably a three quarter split non teaching coaches now, and I don't I don't know that that's a good trend. Even though I'm a I'm one of those, it's not not a teacher. I think it's better ideally, all things being equal, to have somebody in the building that can, you know, because for one of the challenges for me, especially getting started, was you want that relationship beyond just what happens on the court and what happens in practice. Cause that's pretty intense sometimes and, and pretty serious a lot of the time. And you're focused on goals and objectives and you got, you know, you have 120 minutes and you got to make the most of them and optimize that time. And you don't have as much time for some of the important little things, just a simple five minute conversation that you would have being in the building all day or having a kid or four or five kids in class. So we have to work really hard, to create those opportunities, which means our windows are bigger. Um, It's not a two-hour commitment for us. It's it's a big commitment, and it's year-round. You know, we have to be checking in on their grades. We have to be checking in that they're being good citizens, uh, that they're being good community members in the school, and we have to stay in touch with them, you know. And so I wouldn't recommend, you know, a non-teaching coach that wasn't committed to that full um, sort of relationship with the kids. It goes beyond just what happens on the court because that's too narrow. You know, you have to be tough and and you have to push kids, and that's not always comfortable, and not every kid responds to that well. And if all you do is that, you're going to have a lot of bad relationships. You have to also put your arm around them and and talk to them about their, their English test and how life is going and everything else.
0: So, it's a great segue. It's like, coach. Like, like, like you and I talked before the show because I wanted to be able to go a little bit deeper on what you're talking about, being able to have that relationship with kids. So you're a grandson of a coach, a son of a coach. And looking at your record, 496 and 131, uh, five wins at a state championship game. You've been to six state championships. You're a six time coach of the year. You're a member of all the at Oregon Athletic Coach Association, the Basketball Coach Association, all the, the super successful on the court. How, how have you been able to do that as, as kids have changed, as parents have changed, as the game has changed? And you mentioned that, that your, your dad was a little bit old school, and I know uh, looking at the, the, the game we're going to talk about today, that your team plays a lot of defense, and that may be unpopular with some kids these days. So how do you get your kids to play? What kind of coach are you? Just t- take a little deeper dive into that for us.
2: Well, probably the first thing for us is that you know, I live in a great community and it happens to be one that has had a lot of great student athletes. You know, I think um, the level of success that we have shared wouldn't have happened if we didn't have a number of pretty talented, pretty committed, pretty motivated kids and families. Uh, Then I also work in a district where we get great support and our athletic director worked incredibly hard, especially through the pandemic. I mean, Brian, you can relate to this. Chris, I'm sure you can as well. It it was brutal. It was hard. And trying to even get a schedule, knowing when you're going to play, was really difficult. And we had teams right around us in different districts that um, would play a third of the number of games we played because our people were willing to go the extra mile and reschedule and replan. And all that takes time and effort. So I'm really blessed to be in a district that supports athletics and work with an athletic director who's strong and supportive. And then we also have great facilities and, you know, that, that doesn't matter, and it, but it does matter. You know, I think it's when you have a great school that's well taken care of and a beautiful gym, um, you know, m- almost all the kids that come to Wilsonville live right in Wilsonville. But, you know, everybody wants talented kids. And so the, better, the most talented kids, there's somebody talking to them about going to this school or that school and, you know, the grass is greener over here or they're going to get this opportunity if they go that way. And so to have a really healthy functioning environment helps us retain our kids, which is really all we want to do. We just want to have our Wilsonville kids and do the best we can with them. Then I think that the thing beyond sort of those background support structures and related to that, when I first got to Wilsonville, we were in the same district with Westland and Westland's a 6A school, we're 5A. And we had always been seen as kind of the the redheaded stepchild. You know, Westland's the big power and and Wilsonville was was there as well. But, you know, kind of an afterthought. And there was a youth basketball organization and it was a joint thing. Uh, but there was one Wilsonville person on the board and there's a board of like 12. And, and that's fine. You know, I'm sure the Westland people had put it all together and, it, you know, they had probably put their capital and energy and investment in it and had added Wilsonville at some point. So anyway, the, my first year, the, the one board member, guy named Roger Arcee, uh, asked me to go with him to the meeting and I left all fired up because I mean, we were just a complete afterthought and his whole purpose was to get me fired up. And so that, I mean, literally like that next week, we started our own youth organization. And I think that's been really important because it's a strong flourishing thing. I mean, we've had our challenges with the pandemic and coming out the other end, trying to get back where we were is still gonna be a challenge. But what we've had for 20 years is a youth organization where the coaches, by and large, are running what we run. Um, the kids are coming through our school. Um, there's communication about what it means to be a Wildcat. Um, there's, they, they get an idea of a sense of history, a sense of community, you know, which is so important in today's day and age. With, with all of these things coming at kids, the thing that we can offer that nobody else can is family and community. And I mean, that's who we are. That's what we are. And that's all we aspire to be. And then we want to be as great as we can be within those parameters. So I think the youth organization has helped a ton. If any young coach doesn't have one, man, that time invested at that level will pay dividends if you're there for the long term. And and really, you should do it if you want the best for your school. You should try to build that, whatever your situation might be. And then I think the last thing for us is probably that has helped besides talent and that infrastructure and then youth. The other thing that has helped a bunch is we know where we hang our hat and we hang our hat on uh, playing great man defense. Uh, we don't, we have, I've coached for 24 years, like I mentioned, and we haven't played one possession of zone. And, you know, we run into all kinds of situations where people, and you know, that's the big speculation, we're going to play zone this year. This year we had a 6'10 kid, a 6'7 kid, a 6'6 kid. And people are like, well, they're going to have to play zone this year. We didn't play one possession, and we gave up the least amount of points in the state. Uh, well, uh, we just adapted a little bit. You know, not all man is the same. So we, mm-hmm. we adapt and adjust. And But our kids have a belief in in man-to-man defense and that if we have a problem, we're not looking for an out. We're not looking for – there's no safety net. we got to dig in and figure it out. And so I think when you do that all the way down through the through kindergarten – and really more third grade. But when you do that all the way down, uh, there becomes a real buy-in to that and an identity to that. And um, so I think we know where we hang our hat. It's it's wildcat defense, we call it. We want to compete. We want enthusiastic leaders. We want to take great shots and we want to act with class. And so those are our five pillars and uh, we build everything around that. And I think given, even though we have fluctuations in talent to be sure, um, we've been able to sustain a pretty high level um, over the years.
1: Well, coach, I'm coming out to be an assistant coach there because
2: I just fell <laughs> in love. With what you said. Um, we have our challenges. I mean, we, I don't want to make it sound you, like utopia, but no, but no, a, but situation. I, I mean, you're the the
1: fifth. I think the fifth thing you said was was you know where you hang your hat. You talked about your principles, but just the the four things before that. Number five, knowing where you hang your hat. I think you just outlined for a young coach or a first time coach, these are the things you need to do to get your program in order. You know, the infrastructure, you know, the school board thing, even if you're in a one town school board thing, you need to, you know, you need to have that alignment with the school board and your athletic department down to your team. It all needs to be, uh, you know, cohesive in that. And then, like you said, the infrastructure facilities don't matter, but they do matter. Right. I think is what you said to a point. Um, um, I forget what else you said, but like I said, I think it it outlines like the criteria as a new coach. Um, And as you were going through it, I just had an unsuccessful stint as a head coach for the last three years. And Brian knows everything that that went along with this. And as you were saying that I'm going, okay, let me, I was going, did I do that the way he's talking about it? So you're even educating me as I'm listening to you answer the question, which is great. So I think that's great for young coaches to listen
2: to. And I've been, you know, my first job, That all of that, those things weren't in place. And, you know, it it would have probably, I mean, it was a Catholic school, so it's a different situation. Mm -hmm. The idea of attracting kids is accepted and encouraged. You know, it's not like in our setting, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to have anything to do that, even though, you know, there are public schools that, without question are heavily involved that way.
1: Yeah. (laughs) There are ways, there are ways to do that everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But at my, at
2: my first school, it wasn't all set up. And I think that's part of why you know, I needed to go move on because you say a young coach getting started, you also have to do the very best you can with wherever you're at. And it may not be perfect. And it might take time. You know, when I started at Wilsonville, it wasn't perfect. They'd never been to the playoffs. Uh, They'd never made the state tournament. Um, Great people. There was a good coach before me. I'm not putting him down at all. It was a new school, Um, but it it took time. And luckily we had the right leadership in place that trusted in me and invested with me in the same direction. If you're not in that, um, you know, you're just going to be swimming upstream in some ways. And, and it's hard, you know, this, it's a competitive deal and, and the games and the, you know, winning your own league is competitive. You know, and you play these teams twice, some leagues play three times a year. I can't imagine that. Like it's, it's so hard. And that those games, you know, you know what they're going to do before their kids do even. And and they know you're everything you want to do, and you call out a play, and and they're trying to jump it. They call it a play, and we are jumping it. And it's it's one of those things where um, it's just not easy. So if you don't have everything rolling in the same direction, there are going to be some setbacks and some dips, and and it's a it's a tough deal. And you're going to run into a program that does have that going for them, and and then you then you've got that mountain out there. And how are you going to climb that mountain? Um, You either have to have exceptional talent, you know, or kind of a a group that bonds incredibly well and they just complement each other and you guys can overcome anyway, Um, but it's hard. So I'm just very grateful that at the moment, and it's a dynamic thing, you got to keep working at it because this stuff can go south at any minute. Um, But at the moment, we've got some pieces in place that have helped us succeed. Now nothing's promised to us next year. Our first game, I guarantee it's zero zero at the tip and we got to dig in and play all this history doesn't matter all these young kids playing with wilsonville on their chest is great that's not going to help us win that game we got to out compete and outplay that team there are things that are helping us have a better chance at that than maybe the next guy and that's what we're trying to load up
0: well, Coach, you sound like you have it rolling. And so we want to hear about your greatest game. And as you mentioned, there uh, there are a ton of great games as a coach. It's almost an unfair question to ask a, a basketball coach to say, hey, pick one great game. But we know that you've picked one. So take us into the gym for this one. It sounds like a doozy. It
2: it was. I kind of cheated. I took our last game. <laughs> Just so Everything was fresh. But it was a great game. And I think one of the things that was great about it is, it was a state championship game. And so those in and of themselves, they take a life of their own almost. And you get to where you're, you're looking for signs and you're, you know, you've, this, this was actually my seventh state championship game as a head coach. And so, you know, you're hoping, you kind of get a, a, a schedule's important. You know, we had an, a, an itinerary that we felt good about, um, but you're looking for everything and hoping that everything's going to go well. And you don't want to be all about winning. But you, you can't help but go, oh, geez, you know, dear Lord, just let us get this one more. You know? And you kind of go through that thought. But at the end of the day, one thing I definitely learned through having won and lost those kind of games is that you got to prepare yourself if it doesn't go well because the number one thing your job is at that moment is to support those kids. And we had a, we had a game in 2015 where we hadn't been to the state championship for 10 years. And we made it back, and these kids were amped, and we were a little younger than the other team. They were more physical. They just beat us to the spot everywhere, physically just beat us. And our kids tried, and we ended up losing by one. And our, we had a kid shooting a one-and-one one, uh, down two with .4 seconds to go. We kind of clawed our way back. We were not very good most of the game, but we got right back in it. They had had foul trouble. A couple guys had fouled out. And our kid made the first, so we're down one with 0.4 to go. And we're thinking he's our best shooter, too. We're thinking he makes this, we're good, because they're in trouble now. They've lost some guys. We're coming on finally. Here we go. Well, he misses the second, and he immediately just crumples to the floor. And it's probably one of my proudest moments as a coach. I just went right to him and hugged him. And, you know, I think most coaches would do that same thing. But I didn't have a moment of – feeling sorry for myself or wishing with this or that. All I want to do is make him feel better because he's going to be stuck with that forever. And all he wanted, he wasn't trying to miss that free throw and we wouldn't even been close without him. He's definitely one of our best players. So having been through this, you want to be ready for both sides of it. And when you're young, you don't know the difference. At that point I was mature enough to have an idea that that was my job at that moment. I'm glad for that. But I was going into this game, the game I wanted to talk about, our state championship game this year, and was looking for signs. Like I was hoping, okay, I got to get two to three hours of sleep because you guys know when you're preparing, it's a lot of time. And when you're in the tournament, you know, we had done some advanced prep quite a bit, probably more than we had ever done. But you still don't know who you're playing. There's too many if-thens. And, you know, I'm watching tape, and I end up – the report I wrote, I mean, it was gargantuan. It was huge. It was huge. And I got zero sleep. And and so that was like, I'm like, oh, no, this is a bad sign. And then we go to our walkthrough that morning. And we are supposed to be over at Corvallis High School. Uh, we, we play in Corvallis at Oregon State University for the state championship. Everything's all set up. The people there are great. We go there, and they're having a blood drive or a, a, a blood donor drive. And the, the, the basketball coach didn't know. He goes, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? And you don't want anything to go wrong on a stage. You don't want – two minutes off your schedule. If it if it goes wrong, you, you know, you roll with it and act like nothing's wrong for the kids. But you don't want one single anything to go wrong. Do you have something, Chris?
1: Yeah, I, I just looked up I looked up where Wilsonville was to Corvallis, hour yeah. and 12-minute drive. So we, were you down in Corvallis, or did you drive down for the shoot-around? No, we
2: stayed down there. The way okay. the format was is um, Wednesday was the quarterfinals. If you won, you had a bye Thursday. Friday is the semi, Saturday is the championship. We came in back. Corvallis? Yeah, in Corvallis. All okay, okay. So it's not class. like
1: you drove down there. They said you can't have a walkthrough.
2: All right. <laughs> no, we drove down. We were already down there. We did come back for school on Thursday because we just want to keep our kids studying. and it's good for PR at the school and everything else. Um, and it's good to have our kids sleep in their own bed a little bit. So we, we came back. But then we were already down in Corvallis for the semis, one. And the next morning, we're going to our walkthrough. Nothing. We can't do it. And so we're like, hey, man, we in the pandemic, we were practicing outside. Is there just a grade school around here? And uh, his, the guy's name is Ross felt great coach, great guy. He felt horrible. Takes us to a grade school. So we're in this chain link fence. I mean, this is like out of a movie, you know. We're, and we're getting ready for the state championship out there. We can't really dribble because all we have are leather basketballs, and this is just a terrible spot. Starts to rain. Uh, but it was there was something beautiful about it. A bad sign. I mean, none of this is looking good, but it was a bad sign, but it was something beautiful about it was back to where we kind of started in the pandemic that we did. Nothing was going our way. It didn't, you know, it was a struggle. Um, we were fighting for anything to go right to, you know, back in the pandemic it was when are we going to be able to play? When can we even get in our gym? Uh, when can we have contact like a practice where we can actually play the game? So this was kind of taking us back to that a little bit. But we kept our cool, kind of went through our stuff. We get to Gill Coliseum, which is what the arena is called. And the kids, we had a tremendous game in the semifinals. We beat a really good team that was ranked second. We were seeded third. They were ranked second. Beat them 58-41. They have a kid who will probably be the player of the year. Very tremendous player. We held him to 10. He had 38 the night before and 28 the night after. Um, so we felt good about it. They wanted to park in the exact same spot the kids did, so spot two forty one. So I'm like, okay, let's get the two forty one, then we can get in there, then we'll be on a roll. Nobody, it, the game was at three fifteen, the championship game, which is kind of odd, but they rotate boys and girls, so that's what it was. Saturday, whatever, we'll play it. So we we get there. There's not a car within two blocks, but there's one car, and it's in spot two forty one, and I'm like, this is not going well at all. We get downstairs to start preparing for the game and we get in there. I'm finally like, okay, I got to get this gargantuan report up on the board. I don't know why I even do that. It's just a habit. They've already read it. We've already gone over at the walkthrough, but I have this habit. I don't want to change right now, but this thing's a monster. So I'm just sweating, trying to get this, all this on the board. And somebody comes in and says we had to leave. Now we've been to, this is our seven state championship game. We've never had to leave in the middle of a pregame. We had to leave because there was another team down there. We They didn't want any noise. I'm like, hey, we'll turn the music off. We'll, we won't say anything. Just, just let us hang out here. We No, we got to go. That's the orders. So we got to leave. And then, of course, the first half happens, which I'll tell you about in a second. But, but there was not a good sign the whole way through it. And I think the, the best thing for me was just as a coach, again, having some experience. Um, I had a little more maturity than I probably would have 20 years ago. I just kept rolling with it, and I'm so glad I did now because when you're a young coach, you know, any little thing can get you kind of off the rails a little bit. You're, you're wanting to be successful. You want your team to do well, especially in a heightened atmosphere like that. You know, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot of people watching. There's going to be a lot of talk about it, a lot of opinions about it, all of that stuff. And, you know, if you get a bad ref, if the ball is hot, if they're – you know, whatever it might be can really throw you off, but it really, none of this, I was really happy that none of this threw our staff off. We just kind of kept going. Our kids were great. They didn't worry about any of it. They just thought a lot of it was funny. And, uh, and then we rolled, but we went out there and the first half was just a slugfest and we could not do anything. Uh, We weren't stalling. Neither team was trying to slow it down, but the halftime score was 11 to six and we had the six well, good news, you held them to 11, coach. Yeah, well, that's and that's what we said walking <laughs> off the floor was the second quarter was two to zero then. But we said walking off the floor, I mean, it's embarrassing when you're leaving the floor and you got you're going in front of thousands. It's not like a typical high school game, you right? It's, you know, this is you got to walk, it's like the walk of shame, right? You got to walk in front of like 3,000 people on one side, and you know, you just put six points on the board. And so it's not the most impressive situation. But we went down and we just said, hey, listen, man, this is just like it's 31 to 26. Now it's 11 to 6, but it's no different. We're down five, couple buckets, we're right in this. And if we score, if we get a lead, they're going to tighten up because they'd had to lead the whole way. We had really struggled to do anything. Um, and then, you know, after the game later, you hear people talking about a shot clock and all that. But honestly, we just we just couldn't get a good shot. It was very similar to – the game that I mentioned before, where the other team was a little older and a little stronger. We had a couple sophomores this year, a couple juniors that were key guys. The other team we played this year was mostly seniors, and they were just beating us to the spot everywhere. The difference, I think, this time was, you know, we eventually met force with force, and we had talked about that having been through it before. There's a different level of um, athleticism and a different level of urgency when you're playing a great team for like a championship, even playoffs and all that stuff. Those are intense things too. A league opponent that's your rival. That's intense. A state championship game where you're playing a good team, that's older and stronger than you. That is a battle. That is a whole nother level. And so we had talked to our, cause we knew all year we got these young guys and they're going to be toe to toe with the senior and our, our best chances if they can hold their own. And so we'd been planting that seed all year long. And at halftime, we talked a little bit about, it's time for us to meet force with force. We have to start attacking the rim. We got to start playing stronger. And they did. And we came out in the second half and we had a, a kid um, that was just a storybook kind of situation. His name was Enzo Chimente. And uh, this kid, we nicknamed him Jersey Shore Elmo. he's just a little guy. And he wore these tight, like, uh, under, like, tank tops under his uniform. So we called him Jersey Shore Elmo. But he, uh, as a freshman, was like five four hundred and ten. Just, a, you know, just one of these storybook deals. And he barely made our freshman team. But he, you could tell he loved the game. You could tell he was going to be committed and work at it. And then as a sophomore, he was – we have four teams. So we have freshman JV2, JV, and varsity. And our JV2 program is developmental, right? I mean, that is – you have to, you have work to do to get back on track to be in varsity someday. And we told him, you're right between being the last guy on JV and being on JV2. I think maybe you should do JV2 because you'll get the ball, you'll get a play, you can score, your confidence will grow. And I said, take some time and think about it. We'll do whatever you want, but take some time. He goes, Coach, I'm playing JV. And I was like, okay, you know, I – I thought he was kind of making a mistake at the time, but I loved his conviction. He had goals. He was motivated. Fast forward to the year after that last year, when he was a junior, we finally got to play and he was like our sixth man and did a great job. This year we get to the state tournament and we were a tremendously balanced team. We had, we had six guys average between eight and 12 points, which I've never seen. You know, I've never seen a team like our first quarterfinal game at the tournament all five guys that started were in double figures. I've never had that either in a tournament type setting. But we're so you couldn't really tell who was going to do what for us. And the talk going into the tournament by some was a team like that can't win it because you got to know, you know, who's going to score the big bucket when you need it or you know who you're going to go to. And every team that we had had that won it had had a player of the year type of kid. We didn't have that this year, but we had an incredibly balanced team. So we get to that halftime, it's 11 to 6. You know, it couldn't have been much more embarrassing. And we're starting to head back up. And lo and behold, behind me, Enzo Cemente, who's now six foot tall, but we got 6'10", six, 6'7", six, he's still the smallest guy in the huddle, is telling these guys what's going to happen in the second half. We're going to cut, we're going to reverse it, and then we're going to attack. And he said, we're going to win this game, and we're going to do it together. And it doesn't matter who scores, and I'm just listening to him thinking – Well, he's been listening. That's good. (laughs) And now here's the moment. He got got all the messages. Yeah. yeah, He got the messages and he's meeting the moment and he had, he'd earned enough respect with his teammates by that point to take the floor. You can't have just anybody do it. You can't, you can't force your way there. You have to have respect. And he had earned that. And we went out in the second half and he ended up making bucket after bucket. Uh, He was six for eight, had 15 in the game, which, May not seem like a lot, but the final score was 34-30 us. So he was incredible. He also guarded a player who's a borderline player of the year kind of candidate for us, for our state this year. And that kid struggled, went like two for 13. Great kid, good player, had a tough game against Enzo. So it was really an incredible game for me. And seeing just all of those things come to pass, you know, a, a really tough day a day where your back's against the wall, the biggest moment you're going to face. Playing a team that's stronger and faster and older than you and haven't been there before and lost, and this time finding a way. Having a kid who came all the way through our program and who we stayed open to and kept giving him opportunities and we were true to the competition, and when he beat guys out, he beat them out. But he made it. And not only did he make it, he's the player of the game at the state championship. For me, and this was also the first game for me without my dad, this first state championship game without my dad being involved, and in, he's still involved. Like, anything I do, we're doing it together. But he wasn't there physically. He wasn't there on the radio. He, was, he wasn't able to be there. So that was meaningful to me that we're carrying on. You know, we're, we're going to keep competing. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep trying to achieve with kids, make an impact on kids even beyond him. So that, for me, you know, the greatest game was a really tough question when I saw, I saw your title of the podcast. But then you start talking about the greatest game. Boy, it's so hard because there's so many moments in athletics where kids do great things. And it's really not even not even about the state championship stuff. That, that adds to this one. The recency of this is really the main reason I wanted to do it. Mm. But there's so many moments like that where you have a kid like Enzo Schimente and you go, man, this is why I'm coaching. And, you know, just seeing the celebrations afterwards and, and all of that is fun, too. But you can have those celebrations meeting your rival. You can have those celebrations. I remember the probably one of the most joyous locker rooms I've ever been in was my first year at Valley Catholic. I think I mentioned this to you guys in the pre-work for the show. They were it was an all-girls school and they'd been around six or seven years before I got there. And their combined record was 19 and 113 before I got there. I our, our first year, we were 14 and 10, and we made the playoffs. When we made the playoffs, that locker room, that, that celebration, the joy in there was as real and as full as any joy I've ever experienced in life. And seeing these kids crying and hugging each other, um, it's meaningful stuff. So I don't think it's the state championship thing per se. It's the, it's the building of a team and achieving something together that exceeds their, even their own expectations. Like when we go into a year, our goals are like threefold as coaches. And we really try to stay true to this. And I think having had a little bit of success, you have to watch that and you can't become married to that. But what we try to stay married to is number one, we want to be the best competitive basketball team we can be. Okay. we we're not, this isn't intramurals. We are doing, we are a high school varsity in with, with sub-varsity, but we want the best program and the most competitive team we can be. We're not going to sacrifice on that every which way. There are going to be five starters. Not everybody's going to be all league. Not everybody's going to get all the shots they want. Not everybody's dad's going to be happy. It's going to be competitive. So that's one thing. The second thing that we started working on much harder once I got to Wilsonville is we want to make sure everybody has fun along the way. So we do things like we have a talent show, and there's no talent in the gym but we have a talent show and we, and we give points. And we have winners and prizes and we do a seasonal gift exchange. We can't call it a Christmas gift exchange, but we call it a seasonal gift exchange and everybody draws a name. And we do $10 gifts and we, and we go on a team trip every year. And we love doing those things because it adds that element of beyond the court that is so vital to everything. And then the last thing we're trying to do besides have fun and be as good as we can be competitively is we want to create an environment where There's a chance, you can't make this stuff happen, but there's a chance that there'll be memories for a lifetime for these kids. And that they'll have a chance to do things together that stand the test of time a little bit and bond them in a way that most people don't ever, hopefully they experience it, but a lot of people never experience that. And so we're trying to do that every year. And that's what we want to be married to. I don't want to worry about my record. I don't want to worry about state championships or coaches of the year. That stuff is great. And we keep track of it and we're proud of our kids and we tell them great job. And we bring those things up in that setting, but that, that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much as the impact we can make on kids.
1: Coach, what I loved um, is the people, listeners of this podcast will know that theme that's come up in the greatest games and not all of them have been championship games that people have talked about are when the player or players take ownership yeah, and telling that story about Enzo Chimenti, you know, it's one of those things where, and this is why I think is, but I would have not even went into the locker. Room. I would have just been like, you know what? Enzo's got it. I'm going to hang out out here and go get a soda. Like trying to get them to do, like you said, create those memories, create those moments. And Enzo had it. I mean, I'm sure you went in and said great stuff. But what Enzo said to those kids meant 10 times more than what you said.
2: No question about it. And, and I think one of the interesting things was, and, and this is we're not having a star, you know, like as our previous teams, 2005 when we won, we had Jeremy Wilson, left-handed kid. He was just the dagger. I mean, he was a silent assassin and just took the heart out of teams. You couldn't stop him. Uh, he went to BYU. Could have walked on there, but ended up not playing, but a tremendous talent. The next teams that won, we had Zach Reichel, who played at Oregon State and was a starter for them on an Elite Eight team just a couple of years ago. Um, After that, when we won in 2019, my son was, who was a player of the year as well, was our lead kind of guy with other talented kids for sure. But this year, what was interesting was, I think when you have a guy like that, you have to be sure that that kid – And you are on the same page as a coach, for sure. you got to be on the same page. And you hope that that kid can be an authentic, great leader and lead the kids in the direction that you want them to go. Not leading them the wrong way, but the way you want them to go. The thing about having a team with five, six equal kids, we had six really that were very similar talent wise They did different things, but they were similar in their impact on a game, just different ways until one of them broke his wrist, we had five at the state championship. The thing you have to do, you've got to get all five of them as leaders, and they all five have to be willing to do it. So we had Enzo step up that game, but we also had Maxim Wu, who was a, a point guard for us, quiet kid by nature, had had a good season, was first team all league, and we just constantly harping on him. You have to, You have to own our team's competitiveness. You have to try to bring these guys to the level that you're playing at. It's you're doing great, but that's not enough. You know, if you want to, if you have these goals, that's not going to be enough for us. You have to invest in everybody else. And two guys that can't have a bad day at practice are the coach and the point guard. So we got to make sure every day you are ready to lead and to go. And at that state championship game, Enzo did his thing and it was his day and he led, but Max was out there found his voice somewhere in that. I'm not trying to sound like I'm like on The Bachelor or something, but, you know, he found his voice and he was literally telling guys what to do, encouraging guys when they made a mistake. He was the guy lifting everybody up. We have a 6'10 kid who couldn't walk and chew gum, but a tremendous athlete when he first got to Wilsonville. I mean, he could walk and chew gum, but when he took a shot, it might hit the top of the backboard. Now he's out there getting in the semifinals, he gets 18 rebounds and sets a school record in the state semifinals. We had all five of these guys leading. Now that's not easy to do. And we didn't, I don't want to take credit as a coach for that, but whatever we did worked because one of the hardest things to teach as a coach is leadership. And I don't know if it's born or if you can teach it or if it's a mix. There's some kids who just walk in the gym and they're a leader and you know it and you feel it and they have the right energy and they have a consistency and an urgency about them. And then there's other kids that just don't have that. Or they're growing. Or the world is beating them down. Or they're hungry. Or, you know, all kinds of different things can be going on. But to get to where we had five guys all leading and capable of stepping forward, I think that's what we kind of needed to have, not having a player of the year type of guy. We had to have, we had to have every one of our tentacles ready to pop you. And, and when Enzo saw the crack, he took the shot. But the other guys were all working and supporting him and it could have been one of them as well I think. So it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because you think about all that stuff particularly before we had ever won a state championship, you're always thinking how am I going to get over this mountain? what do I got? what do we have to do? And you, you dissect and analyze everything. Leadership, man, I think leadership is such an important thing. You can't do it without great leadership. All the other stuff I mentioned, I believe in. I believe in having a place to hang your hat. All the all the background things have to be in place. But you got to get your kids to be great leaders.
0: Well, Coach, it sounds like you have done that uh, to the nth degree. Uh, I love the clarity about your program, the things that you're trying to do with your kids. I love that. We're going to have to have you back. And I'm going to ask you when you're going to put your book out because you need a book if you haven't put one out already. But I I, have a book. Uh, I wrote a book. Do you? Okay. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, uh, we'll have to put that in the show notes and everything, so uh, we'll, we'll get that and, and, and make sure everybody knows about that. But the quote the great Jersey Shore Elmo Enzo Shimenti, he said, "That's the goat right there, pointing to you." He said, "He said th- that they don't get much better than him talking about you as his coach." So uh, I know you're doing a great job. It's a, it's very evident. Um, but I do in our last couple of moments here with you, coach. We know you put on a big time event up there. Um, please tell us about the event and and maybe how it has uh, grown over the years and just we'd love to hear more about it.
2: Absolutely. Well, we we put on the Capital City Classic and we hold it at Willamette University. So it's a college setting. And the idea was to have 13 or 12 or 13 of the best Oregon programs and play three or four of the best from around the country. So that's how I met Brian was, you know, we were interested in trying to attract Ridgeview to the event, which would be awesome. And and what's happened is it's grown and grown. We're going into our seventh year. Uh, we had Evan Mobley from Rancho Christian there a couple of years back, which was incredible. Uh, this, this past year, we had a guy more from your neck of the woods, Brandon Miller from Cane Ridge. A phenomenal talent. He was outstanding. But it's become an event that's pretty well attended. And, and the local community really embraces it. It gives kids in the Mid-Willamette Valley who would otherwise never get a chance to play that sort of competition, the chance to play it. And the teams that come in, I think, find it to be a pretty good experience because there's good competition at the back end of the tournament. Yet it's not a mega team tournament where you're going to get punched in the face four times. You know, they can go in and have a legitimate chance to win it if they play well. So for us, it's been fun. We'd love to have, you know, we'd love to have one of your teams from South Carolina out here one of these years. And we'll keep working to make that happen. But the Capital City Classic, would, uh, we'd love that. Well,
1: Ridgeview made a great decision about seven, eight years ago when they moved Brian into the administrative role as the athletic director rather than coaching basketball. That's really what,
0: but see, took you their don't program to the next level. The coach was reaching out because he wanted an athletic director and a team. He <laughs> wanted AD with such a beautiful head of hair. He says, "Brian, we got to have you come up." And uh, again, I'm this is why I'm glad that we're just an audio podcast that people do that. But uh,
2: well, I just want I want to thank you guys for having me. It's always fun to talk the game, and I really appreciate you guys doing this uh, because high school sports aren't—I don't know how it is in the southeast or where you guys are—but they're not covered quite the same as they used to be. And in our neck of the woods, it used to be every box score with how, who scored how much was in the paper. Everybody check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's gone. A lot of that's gone now, and gone. You know, it's sad. So to have you guys keeping. Keeping this, the, the real essence of the sport alive and out there and talking about you know this these greatest game idea is awesome um, because I think there are still a lot of people who value high school athletics. I think there's a lot of fans who still love it, uh, but you're helping with that. So I thank you guys for doing that. Brian, I was tremendously impressed by you just through our process of talking about the Capital City Classic. And so I, I just think the world of what you guys are doing and I appreciate it. As someone from the other coast, just thank
0: you appreciate it well coach we, we appreciate that and i will send you uh the check in the mail for that nice comment no it's, it's been a pleasure to, to work with you and uh, i know the event is an amazing event and uh maybe one day we can work it out to get up there and um maybe in the meantime and get up there and just watch it myself but uh we appreciate you coming on the show this has been great well we will go ahead and button this one up for my co-host chris de blasio i am brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games